Hello and welcome to another week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and it is brought to you by your local community radio station. I'm Sarah McKenzie. On today's summer special of Stick Together, we're going to start by taking a jump back in time to the year 2000. First up, I chat in the studio with Max Ogden about union cooperation during the 2000 Olympic Games and why that led to such a successful Olympic Games. After that, we'll revisit an interview which was aired on Stick Together in September with Zoe Angus, the Director of Equity. This interview from the beginning of the Make It Australian campaign explains the purpose of the union's campaign to maintain content laws in Australia and establish a plan for work in the digital age of film and television. But first up, some union news. The Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, has launched an online tool for victims of criminal and unethical activities by the big banks to submit their stories, which will then be presented uh, to the Banking Royal Commission. This tool was created as a response to the Commission, who has not yet allowed for public submissions, nor has it launched any of the submission infrastructure that was available during the Trade Union Royal Commission. Back then, the Commission had a fully staffed call centre within 14 days of the Commission being established. It's no real surprise because we know that the rules are different for the banks. But to ensure that all voices are heard and all complaints are recorded, the ACTU have launched this online tool where individuals can make submissions. If you'd like to uh, use it, it can be found at www.australianunions.org.au slash banks are not super. Um, and if you're listening to this on podcast, you can find that URL in the description. Workers across Australia spent Christmas on picket lines as two ongoing disputes continued throughout the season. Workers at Glencore's Oakey North site in Queensland have marked over six months since they were locked out by their employer. Glencore, who pays no tax in Australia, is exploiting our broken industrial relations system, trying to slash wages and conditions for hardworking, highly skilled workers at Oakey North. The workers are not on strike. They've not taken industrial action. They've been locked out by their multi-million dollar company. And for over 200 days, families in Longford, Victoria, have been making big sacrifices, taking a stand against one of the largest oil and gas giants in the world, ExxonMobil Esso, who's allowing for foreign-owned contractor, UGL, to cut Victorian workers' wages and conditions by up to 30% as well as trying to introduce harsh anti-family rosters. ESO also paid zero tax on the $8.5 billion it made in Australia last year. If you want to support these workers, if you're in Victoria or in Queensland, you can visit the pickets. And across Australia, you can support workers with much-needed donations so that they and their families can continue to fight for their rights at work. Stick together. 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 
Stick Together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Sydney Olympics 2000. It wasn't all high jump, lawn rowers and Nikki Webster flying through the night sky. Some 200,000 workers and volunteers both at the sports grounds and across Sydney played an enormous role in keeping this whole thing going and making sure that the wheels didn't fall off. At the closing ceremony, the president of the International Olympics Committee declared it the best games ever. This was a Games brought to you by union members whose unions worked together, collaborated and cooperated to ensure a fair and safe work environment whilst presenting this great and spectacular Games. This cooperation was present at every step along the way to the Olympics, from construction to planning to hiring staff and then to the actual event itself. Today I'm speaking with Max Ogden, who in 2000 and 2001 co-chaired the steering group of the Collaborative Games Study at the Foundation for Sustainable Economic Development at University Melbourne. This was the first study that the Foundation for Sustainable Economic Development did in 2000 and 2001. Within a year, a book was released called The Collaborative Games by Tony Webb, which we will refer to throughout this interview as we discuss some of the unique things that happened during the 2000 Olympic Games and why that led to it being such a successful, spectacular Games. In the studio with me is Max Ogden. Max was co-chair of the steering group of the Collaborative Game Study at the Foundation for Sustainable Economic Development and University of Melbourne, and he's going to chat with us today. Welcome, Max. So, pleasure to be here. So, last time I spoke to you um, on the radio, as you were leaving, we were talking about super unions, and you mentioned to me the Sydney Olympics, the Unions 2000, which I'd never heard of before. Um, can you tell me a bit about what Unions 2000 was? Yes, it was a, a very positive development, which many who were involved would wish was still occurring today. The The whole process really began uh, about six or seven years before the Games when the construction sites were just starting, particularly the swimming pool, which had been um, underway anyway. Uh, and there'd been a very interesting and constructive approach from the uh, construction unions at that time uh, in, a, in a couple of ways. One was they'd agreed as a matter of principle that the wage rates would be uh, negotiated across the industry and they would be the same in the city big construction jobs as they would be at Homebush to avoid a, um, a leapfrogging, which was the traditional approach where one building site would uh, negotiate a new agreement and then another building site would use that as a basis to, to jump that. 
and the idea to have them more equal was to keep workers on the Homebush site because it was such a, a huge construction site with all the buildings. Um, and had to meet a time frame. Yes, yeah. and they had a, a time frame to meet. Yeah. But uh, then once once the games got started, of course, it wasn't just construction workers. There's cleaners and performers yes. and everything. So can you tell me a bit about that it part became, of it? That became the model then, that kind of approach, if you like, a strategic approach, which I was very impressed with. Uh, that became the model then for all the agreements that, that followed, dealing with all the other workers, uh, right up until in, and into the games themselves and just beyond. Um, a very important component of that was the very interesting training that was built into the construction period, whereby uh, it, the, the commitment from all sides was that everybody who came to work on the construction sites would, when they leave, have several certificates of uh, new levels of skills. So they had this interesting uh, three-monthly rolling skills development. So they'd plan three months ahead to train the people they needed for the next uh, uh, period in, in the sites. And so you do three months and then roll over. Um, and so that's exactly what happened. Everybody who came on to the sites went away with with uh, far more skills, recognised skills, and they had a, a very effective training uh, establishment in the middle of all those construction sites. Mm-hmm. During the games themselves, there were multiple unions that kind of worked together to make this Unions 2000. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how it worked on the ground? Yes, it was, uh, again, this is a very... St- good element, and which game we had it today, where the New South Wales Labor Council, uh, who played a, a very significant role in all of this, they got all the unions to agree that uh, they'd open an office in the hall, uh, trades hall there, to uh, what they called Unions 2000, where people wouldn't join a particular union. They would join Unions 2000. Um, so it didn't matter what job they did. Uh, they would join just this one, had this one uh, organisation to join, and it was agreed that uh, after the games were over, for those who were going to be still working in those particular industries, then the unions would sit down and work out which members would go with their union and so on. But on the ground, it meant that they had something like uh, 30 or more full-time organisers um, who, regardless of what the job was, were available to sort out uh, the problems. The Sydney Organising Committee for the Olympic Games, who bargained with the unions for the Olympic award, and then throughout they recorded, I think it was twelve major disputes, eight of which that had strike potential. But there wasn't any um, strike action taken during the Olympics, and it ran quite smoothly. Do you think this is because of the uh, the kind of cooperation between all the unions, and then that relationship that was established during the construction phase? Absolutely, that was cu- quite critical. The other interesting thing about the construction phase was uh, there was no serious industrial disputes. All parties had agreed to, to work together uh, with the government giving the lead, in particular uh, Minister Knight, who was in charge of the whole thing. But they did such a good job on that. So, yeah, and then that that, that fed through. So the whole idea was to sort out disputes uh, before they uh, got out of hand. And Another important element of that was that the unions uh, and the employers, but particularly the unions in this case, had direct access to the minister 
night. Uh, and uh, if there's problems that look like getting out of hand, he could um, very quickly act from on, on high. These are my last games as president of the International Olympic Committee. They could not have been better. Therefore, I am proud and happy to proclaim that you have presented to the world the best Olympic Games ever. Max, the Collaborative Games study, which you were the co-chair of, at the um, Foundation for Sustainable Economic Development at University of Melbourne. Can you tell me a bit about how that came about? Uh, well, it, it was a, an off-the-cuff remark made at the launch of our foundation by, I'm not sure whether it was Steve Brax or um, or uh, Greg Combay, which was a week after the 2000 Games had finished. And one of them just said, oh, this foundation will do studies about particularly good examples of social progress and worker progress and so on and just off the cup happened to say you know just like the olympic games and and then when i and i suddenly sitting there thought hey hang on a minute this is this is a great uh project to start with and um, so i immediately got in touch with my colleague tony webb in sydney who uh has got a long experience all around the world of campaigning and is very articulate very hard working that so you interviewed people from the unions, people from the Sydney Organising Committee and from the government as well. Yes. What was the Was there any uh, feedback that you got over and over? Yes. The, the whole idea of the, um, of the cooperation uh, and the constructive relationships that had begun in the construction phase that followed right through, that's what everybody was not only pleased about but often surprised and particularly how industrial disputes were quickly resolved, um, that left quite an impact on uh, on a lot of people. That came through all the time. I might add for the Sydney Olympics, they were the first games in history where every venue was completed and fully tested 12 months ahead of the games, and it was under budget. And that's the first, possibly still the only time that's ever happened. So they had a 12 months then to to finalise everything, but they'd been tested and the, and the budget was significantly down on what had been planned. And you think this is because of that that kind of unique cooperation that was happening? Oh, without a shadow of doubt. Well, thanks so much, Max, for joining us today on 3CR Stick Together. Thank you. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Earlier this year, performers, producers, writers, directors and crew joined together to campaign for the future of the screen industry. It was a throwback to the Make It Australian campaign from the 1970s, which ensured content laws were established in this country to make Australian television on Australian television screens. Now the fight is back on. Earlier this year, I spoke to Zoe Angus on this program, the Director of Equity, the Performance Section of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. We spoke about the campaign and how members of the public can be involved in making sure that we keep Australian talent and Australian workers on Australian screens. 
And just a quick warning, the next section is a phone interview and it's not the best sound quality. So if you're in a busy or loud area, you might want to come back and listen to this later. Alrighty, this is Zoe Angus and the interview on Stick Together from September the 20th, 2017. On September the 18th, performers, producers, writers, directors and crew joined forces to campaign for the future of the screen industry. They launched a campaign, Make It Australian, in major cities across Australia. On the program today, Zoe Angus, the Director of Equity at the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, joins us over the phone to speak about the campaign. Hi Zoe, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Sarah. So the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, uh, along with workers from the entertainment industry, have launched a campaign called Make It Australian, which, among other things, has a focus on content laws for Australian broadcasters. Zoe, can you just give a a brief explanation of what the current laws around Australian content is for our screens and the limitations and threats to these at the moment? Sure, I can. Um, So this is an important uh, campaign. The situation at the moment is there are rules around uh, Australian content requirements on screen. Uh, In short form, these rules, they're quotas basically, and they apply to the commercial networks. Um, So 7910, uh, also pay TV has a slightly different set of rules. Uh, The ABC and SBS um, aren't covered by these quotas. They have a charter, so they have slightly different rules. But the... um, In terms of the commercial networks, um, in short form, the rules are that each commercial network has got to play a couple of hundred hours of Australian adult drama each year uh, and um, the same couple of hundred hours worth of Australian children's general content um, plus 25 hours of kids' drama and about 20 hours of new Australian documentaries. Uh, Now, why this is important is uh, imagine the following scenario, right? It costs about uh, $1.3 million an hour to make Australian content, roughly speaking, on average. So you talk about your sort of short-form quality miniseries, costs about $1.3 million an hour, but it costs about five to $10,000 an hour to import a pretty decent standard American or British drama. So... There is no commercial incentive for commercial networks to invest in Australian content, Australian stories, uh, without these quotas. These quotas, these content rules actually drive production uh, in this country and there would be no, uh, there would just be no commercial imperative, no, uh, no commercial incentive to actually make Australian stories without these content requirements. Okay. So they're the rules. They're under threat, uh, and this is a real concern. At the moment, the uh, screen industry in this country is in the spotlight. There are two government um, reviews going on at the moment. There's a parliamentary inquiry, uh, and there's also um, a bigger government inquiry itself into Australian screen content, uh, and everything's up for grabs. Uh, And the key concern that we have uh, is that all of the commercial networks uh, individually and also together as a block, have filed uh, submissions to both of these reviews calling for an abolition, uh, complete deregulation of these content requirements. Uh, And so what that would mean, their argument is, 
Um, these content rules are overly onerous. Um, now we've got all these uh, diversified uh, new players. Uh, trust us, we'll play Australian stories. Um, and the reality is, so they want to remove the requirements. Uh, the reality is, uh, if these content rules go, there will be no screen production sector in this country. And what are the consequences to union members in that industry who, who will be directly affected by that? So there's two key things here. There's the cultural argument about the importance of Australian stories. And, you know, and particularly for you know, the next generation of our kids growing up, hearing Australian stories, Australian accents, having a sense of our own, developing our own diverse cultural identity. That's the cultural argument. There's also a very strong, important economic argument here, and that is there would be no production sector in this country without content regulation. Uh, so if you, um, if you leave it up to the market, if you let the commercial networks um, uh, commission their own Australian content, there is no, uh, there's no business case for it. There's no market case for it, so they won't do it. Uh, and... Um, and there won't be the product sector will disappear in this country. And you only need to look at um, the United um, Kingdom mm-hmm. about ten years ago deregulated its commercial networks for children's production, and within three years there was a ninety-three percent fall in production. So what would happen is uh, all of the production small businesses, uh, and in some instances slightly larger businesses, uh, and all of the jobs. Uh, and we're talking here about about actors. We're talking here about camera operators, about sound technicians, about post production. Uh, the whole uh, a whole swathe of twenty five thousand twenty five thousand full time jobs there are in this industry as, a, as an estimate. Uh, and uh, those jobs are in peril if these content rules are removed. Twenty five thousand full time jobs, and is that twenty five thousand full time jobs? Yep. Wow. Makes so- up this industry. What's the uh, what's the union's plan to win on this? Well, I'm very pleased to say that for the first time in maybe 30 years, we have a united production sector. Uh, so uh, this week we launched Make It Australian, and um, and all around the country, more than a thousand people have registered and uh, turned out for our national launches. We've got meetings in uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. Uh, Hobart, all around the country, uh, and um, and at those meetings we are. It's the whole industry gathering. So it's actors, it's crew, it's directors, it's writers, it's producers, all speaking with one voice. Uh, we are preparing a um, a visual petition with the faces of the industry uh, assembled in a collage, which we will deliver to Canberra. So the powerful message um, is that it is the whole production sector standing together. And really the battle line's drawn, frankly, between the commercial networks on the one hand and all of the production sector united on the other hand. And the only way we will win this is precisely the sheer weight of our numbers standing together in a united, united way and sending that um, single message to Canberra that the, these reviews must form a view uh, which is about respecting the industry and 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 uh, getting the policy settings right to ena- to ensure that the production sector survives and Australian stories continue to be told. 
That was Zoe Angus from the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance and before her, Max Ogden. 2017 was a very big year. There were lots of challenges and lots of wins in the union movement. 2018 will present new challenges and new opportunities for workers and union members. And we know we are stronger when we are united, sticking together. But before we step into 2018, here are some memories from 2017 in the great union movement. We should be challenging discrimination. We should challenge it everywhere it exists. Why does the CFMEU back the yes vote? I'll tell you why we back the yes vote for 15 years. We've been campaigning because we're discriminated on building sites with draconian laws that target our members every day. And how can we be calling for one more for all and then have a different view when it comes to a yes vote for this? So we support it. And we'll argue for our members to support it. Bullying and harassment and intimidation that is a major concern for staff at Women's Health West. A lot of workers in this sector, you put your clients first and it is making a big statement for you to actually walk out and stand here today. call us everything under the sun and all we're trying to do is protect workers rights to make sure every night when they go to work they go home safe to their families what are they trying to do they're trying to reduce them rights so more people get killed so today thousands of early educators have walked off the job around australia and we are just warming up because we are done asking nicely for equal pay aren't we And we bring to this fight something they do not have. Solidarity, sticking together, working people, sticking together, no matter what, in whatever circumstances, just as we have done throughout the generations, we will do again. And we'll do so with determination, we'll do so with a clear idea about what's wrong, and we'll do so knowing that our grandparents fought to change the rules in the past, and they won it, and we will fight to change the rules and win it again. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks for listening. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and it's broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Podcasts for this show can be found at 3cr.org.au slash sticktogether. If you want to get in contact with the producers of this show, give us a call on 03-9419-8377 or send us an email to sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. We'd really like to hear from you. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. My name's Sarah McKenzie, and until next time, stick together.